Thank you, Pat and Neil, Jill and, and Tim. It's two things that just bring real gladness to my heart. One, for it take as long as it did for the Lord's Supper to be passed out. Let's be okay with me. If we had so many people here, it took half the service. That's good. And also to hear the feet of the kids as they, they rush out. I'm just as, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you don't rush out as when it's over. Well, Maranatha to you. Our Lord comes. How exciting that is. Now, I want to tell you something this morning. I only believe that it's going to be those of you here this morning who have ever sinned are going to appreciate this message. So only if you've ever sinned will you get it. I have a question for you. Were you there? Were you there when they crucified our Lord? That song always awakens that thought in me well, no, I wasn't, but my sin certainly was. That it was there on Calvary's cross that the total payment of the debt I owed was paid in full. Not in part, but the whole. There at Calvary's cross. I, lo I love the song, and we're going to be playing it here at the end of the service, I think that when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And how absolutely true I think that statement is. It's also true that in order for me to become like him, he had to become like me. And that's what the incarnation of Christ is all about, is God becoming man, human, in the flesh, that he might die, he might pay the debt that I owed, and what a joy and how exciting it should be as we remember the Lord's death, as we observe the Lord's Supper, communion. It just drives home the point of all that Calvary accomplished, or that Christ accomplished on Calvary. Just think about it, folks. We traded our unrighteousness for His righteousness. What an exchange. What an exchange. And I don't think it's going to be until eternity that we understand the full impact of what was accomplished that day as His blood flowed from the cross Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Well, I got news for you. His blood flowed that day. So there is remission of sin. As we trade our unrighteousness for His righteousness. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He was, for he hath made Him to be sin for us. Talk about love. Somebody asked me here just a couple of weeks ago, 
how do we know the heart of God? That's pretty. That's a pretty deep question. And it got me to thinking about it. How do we know the heart of God? That phrase there really indicates quite a bit to us about the mind and the heart of God. For He hath made Him, God the Father made God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What an exchange. Look to Romans. Now look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. The word justification, the word justification means to be declared righteous. Our righteousness, we stand righteous not because of works or deeds or things that we have accomplished, but, that, but by what He accomplished on the cross. So we should be celebrating what took place there. He was delivered for our offenses, and I encourage you to take it personally. He was delivered for your offenses and he was raised again for your justification in order for you to be declared righteous. When you stand before him, it's not going to be because you were such a good person and you accomplished great things, but it's going to be because you are righteous in Christ. That's how I can guarantee you that you are going to be safe, you are going to be secure, you are going to enjoy that security in Christ for all eternity, again, because of what He accomplished on Calvary's cross, who was, ra- who was delivered for our offenses, was raised again for our justification. But it doesn't stop there. As a matter of fact, when the Scriptures were written, when the Holy Spirit moved on the Apostle Paul and he was writing this to the church in Rome, uh, he didn't stop and go, lick his pen and go, okay, chapter 5. So that last part of chapter 4 just keeps flowing right in to chapter 5. The way the Holy Spirit moved on Paul's heart to write this, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification, that was enough to put Paul on shouting ground. Therefore, that therefore is connected to that other verse. Therefore, being justified, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What a plan of salvation. What a demonstration of love and mercy and grace. God the Father has shown toward us where even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing God we serve. Romans chapter 6. I want us to look at this chapter this morning. Romans chapter 6. 
We have been sealed into the day of redemption. We have been saved to the uttermost. We have been given the gift of eternal life in Christ. And as Paul is writing to the church in Rome, evidently there are some that are questioning Paul's doctrine and hearing him talk about grace. And some of them are saying, well, what you're telling us is that we ought to go out and sin in order for grace to abound. Uh, Paul, earlier, he, he mentions that in Romans chapter 3, verse 8. And not rather, as we have slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that God, that good may come, whose damnation is just. Paul's saying, wait a minute, I've never said that. There are some that are saying that's what we're saying, but they just don't understand what it is that we're saying concerning God's grace. Then he goes back into it again in Romans chapter 6. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Because before he talked about where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. How many of you are glad of that? Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound? I know I am. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul's very clear. God forbid. God forbid. In other words, let it not be. Literally is what that's saying. Let it not be. If you're going to paraphrase it, you'd say, that's crazy. It's not what God's saying. How shall we, and this is important, folks, and this is how you need to consider yourself. If you are a new creation in Christ, if you by faith have trusted in Christ, you need to understand that you are now dead to sin. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He's making a valid point here. Are you saying, Pastor, that we're not going to sin? No. Because we I, I sin every day. I know you find that hard to believe. I sin every single day. We all sin every single day. But what this is talking about is how God the Father sees us in God the Son. And folks, that ought to put you on Holy ground, where it does put you on holy ground. Shouting ground. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Remember this, prior to you coming to Christ, according to Ephesians 2, you were dead in sin and trespasses. You were dead in sin. You don't want to be dead in sin. You don't want to be in sin. You want to be dead to sin, and the only way to be dead to sin is to be in the Son, who had no sin. And the way you become part that you get in the Son is by faith, trusting in what He did on Calvary, believing the gospel, that He died, He was buried, and He rose again. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We're getting ready to look at an important 
doctrinal truth. It is called the doctrine of identification. And every single one of us who name the name of Christ, you are in Christ and you are to consider yourself in Christ. It is all part of identifying with Him. His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension. Because God's Word tells us that where are we seated right now, positionally? In the heavenlies. We are to see ourselves in Christ as joint heirs of Christ. You talk about identification. We identify with Christ. Verse 3. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. I hope, I pray, earnestly I pray, that by now you've been going to St. Louis Bible Fellowship long enough that you understand that this is not water baptism. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. This is not water baptism. But you've been hearing this for a number of years. You were baptized into Jesus Christ. You were baptized into His death. There's no water here. No water here. This is the baptism that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. It is the Holy Spirit that places you, baptizes you into Jesus Christ. That has nothing to do with the gift of tongues either. It has nothing to do with water. It has everything to you being immersed into the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, have all been made to drink into one spirit. Look at verse 27, 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. So you've been baptized. And Paul, in Ephesians 4, Paul identifies this baptism as the one baptism. This baptism, the, spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ where you are sealed until the day of redemption. It's nothing to do with water. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You're a new creation. You've put on Christ. This said, that's not water. That's the spirit baptism that the moment you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I am lost. 
but I believe that you died for me. I believe that you shed your precious blood as payment in full for my sins. I believe you're alive. I believe you rose from the dead. Lord, I believe. By faith, I trust. The Holy Spirit places you in the body of Christ and seals you until the day of redemption. It is a slap in God's face to say, okay, now we got to do this. we got to add to the work you've already done by getting you wet. You hear me? We are complete in Christ, nothing lacking, according to Colossians. Back to Romans 6. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, the spirit baptism, into his body. See, the danger is when people put water in this and they think, well, as long as I get into the baptistry and I'm dunked or I'm sprinkled or I'm poured upon, I'm right with God. Nothing can be further from the truth. Nothing can be further from the truth. What God calls us to do is to accept, to believe what Christ accomplished, what God offers for salvation. Not adding anything, believing that we are complete in Him. That there's nothing else that has to be done in order to build on what the Lord Jesus Christ has already accomplished. And it's by faith that we believe that. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. See, what works does, it does not produce salvation. Works can never produce salvation. But salvation will absolutely produce works. Out of appreciation out of an understanding of what God has, has done on your behalf. So works can never produce salvation because you can't do enough works. You can't do enough good deeds. But your salvation is going to produce good works. So it's what Romans 8, uh, Romans 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What's the next verse say? It tells us that we are God's workmanship created under good works. We are saved by God's grace. And once we're saved, we are created. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And the, the things that God desires to do through the redeemed are going to produce good works. We were buried with Him by baptism unto death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Verse 6 answers the question, were you there? Were you there? Knowing this, 
that our old man is crucified with him. Were you there? According to this, the old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed so that henceforth we might not serve sin for he that is dead is freed from sin. Your old, the old man was crucified with Christ. When he was on the Calvary's cross, your sin was there. The old man was there. Let me tell you something the Scriptures don't teach. The Scriptures do not teach that you have two natures. Did you know that? Now, where that came from, tradition, you know, people talk about you have two natures. Only Christ Jesus had two natures, human nature and divine nature. You only have a human nature. Now, that human nature, there's two facets to that human nature. The flesh, your flesh and your spirit. And boy, Heidi, do they war against one another. And as long as you're in the body, you're going to mess up, you're going to sin, you're going to think things, do things that God's Word calls sin. That's one of the reasons at the rapture that this mortal must do what? Put on immortality? And this corruptible has to put on what? Incorruption. We're going to get a new body because this one is rotten to the core, i got to tell you. But what Christ has done for me, my position in Him, my spirit is redeemed. I belong to Him absolutely for all eternity. So my flesh and my spirit, as long as I'm here, are going to war against one another constantly. But here's what I know. I am in Christ. I identify with Him. And the way God expects me to... to, to look at my salvation in my walk is to reckon myself dead to sin, not dead in sin. That our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. That word destroyed there, that's a pretty interesting word. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 10. I'm sorry, Tim. That should be faster. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished, abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The word abolished is the exact same Greek word as destroyed. So when you read these two scriptures together, it gives you great insight as to how God the Father considers you in Christ, knowing that this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed or abolished, literally rendered inactive. Rendered inactive because you're a good person 
or because the work of Christ on Calvary's cross is all sufficient. It's because it is all sufficient that we should not serve sin. Look at uh, Ephesians 4. Verse 22. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. See, the scriptures talk much about the old man and the new man. The old man is that relationship you have with Adam. You remember him back in the garden? And because of his rebellion, that in Adam, we all died. Sin entered. And Ephesians 4.22 tells us that you put off concerning the former conversation or manner of life of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. See, God's invitation to you is to put that old man off. Don't consider yourself in that old man. Verse 23 and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You are to consider yourself in the new man, in Christ Jesus. In Adam we all die, but in Christ we're what? All made alive. Uh, look at Colossians 3.9. Colossians 3.9. Lie not one to another. Why? Why? I mean, I can think of a whole bunch of reasons, but here's what the Scripture says. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. How are you to consider yourself? You are to consider yourself in the new man, no longer dead in sin, but dead to sin because of your identification with Christ. You are in Christ. You are sealed into the day of redemption. You have been made a new creation. That's how you to reckon yourself. Knowing this, knowing this, that our old man, that relationship with Adam, is crucified with him. Put to death only the plan of God who desires to have a relationship with each and every one of us and spend eternity with us? Hey, as far as I'm concerned, God is probably the only one who thinks it's a good idea to spend all eternity with me. As much as my wife loves me, I can guarantee you she'll have nightmares tonight thinking about spending all eternity with him. That's not true, is it, Faith? She didn't say amen. So, Look at verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. We died in Christ. Knowing... Verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. 
For in that he died, he died unto sin once. In that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, likewise, St. Louis Bible Fellowship, dearly beloved, likewise reckon you yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let not sin. And, and he just said, this is how you don't reckon yourself. Dead to sin. Alive unto God. Dead men don't party. Dead men don't do things that are contrary to the law. You've seen no parties going on in a graveyard. Dead men just don't do that. You're to consider yourself dead unto sin, but alive unto God. But then verse 12 goes in a little bit different direction. You're to reckon yourself dead to sin. And by the way, don't yield your bodies or let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Reckon yourself dead, now don't let sin reign. Accepting the fact, understanding the fact, realizing the fact that we're still perfectly capable of sinning. And will until the day God calls us home. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Your will then enters in here. Positionally, you're in Christ. Saved for all eternity. But here, your will is for you not to let sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but to yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of, un, of, member, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin, ooh, listen to this, for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace the law may try to condemn the law may try to declare you unrighteous but in Christ you identify with him save for all eternity hallelujah and I hope this morning you realize that glorious position and if you don't, the good news is God still saves, still offers salvation. It's, not, it's His will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That includes you. Tim's going to play a song that I think it's a beautiful song that when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I like to think of this. It moves me to tears to know that before I could become like him, he became like me. What love.